Good morning. Welcome to an alignment discussions meeting of conscious creators. My name is Asher Gray. I'll be your host for the next 35 minutes. Um, a little bit about conscious creators, the way of the conscious creator. Uh, a conscious creator's purpose is to live in alignment with our spiritual nature and help others to do the same. We realize this purpose by fulfilling our fundamental needs for inner wholeness and joy. Our process is outlined in the following set of measures. Number one, we recognize those habit patterns which undermine our purpose. Number two, we begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. Number three, we accept the possibility of new life-affirming experiences. Number four, we gain awareness of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number five, we acknowledge the true nature of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number six, we bring our perspective into alignment with our spiritual nature. Number seven, we commit to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Number eight, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. Number nine, we consciously create new life-affirming experiences that fulfill our fundamental needs. After achieving physical abstinence, many of us find that our established habit patterns continue to create unnecessary suffering. As recovering individuals, we need to do something about the habit patterns that keep us in fear and unable to create or embrace new life-affirming experiences. Without addressing these habit patterns, we will be unable to live in alignment with our purpose. We can intervene upon those undermining habit patterns by engaging the way of the conscious creator. Engaging this practice brings our habitual thought patterns of fear into a dormant state, much like chemotherapy shrinks tumors or medication makes a virus undetectable. This helps us to overcome intellectual resistance and develop the capacity to have a direct spiritual experience. All right. So today, I think it's really important to continue to document the progress of the, the creative progress of where things are at with this, bringing this process online. Um, the way of the conscious creator, the, the, the spiritual practice, the mantras, the possibility, alignment, and fulfillment mantras have only been in existence. Well, the possibility and alignment mantras have been in existence since late 2018. And the fulfillment mantras have been in existence for almost a year now. So it's a very, very new process. And I'm very much like the guinea pig for the process. I've been going through and practicing the mantras and gauging their effectiveness within the context of my own living experience. And it's been a pretty wild ride. Um, I recognize that it's very important to 
be that guinea pig because if something's not being helpful or effective or empowering for me as an individual, and if it's something that's messing up my brain or messing up my thinking or making me confused or diminishing my ability to really access my spiritual truth or to live in alignment with my spiritual nature, well, then why on earth would I want to enlist other people in the mantras? Why would I want to give something away that's not truly a blessing or a gift, but rather something uh, egoic and something that's confusing? So I've been very much guarded with this process for the last three years. Uh, I've been doing the podcasts. Uh, I've been working with Ken a little bit. I've been working with a couple of other people. But for the most part, um, I have not been promoting it. It's been something that's been available at Pathfinders, but it hasn't been promoted. Um, I've realized the seriousness of what I'm bringing forward. And I know, understand that there's a part of me, there's a, there's a part of me that I'm just reacquainting myself with. There's a part of me that I'm just starting to commune with again, and I'm starting to have faith in again. This is my, you know, my spiritual nature, my spiritual consciousness. My own consciousness of being is a direct extension of what you would might call God consciousness or source consciousness, and it's within me. And as I have been able to bring myself, first of all, as I've been able to liberate my authentic self, that part of me that's really kind of a direct extension of spiritual consciousness. You have to understand, like, well, I don't want to say you have to understand, but the way that I understand what's going on within me is that spiritual consciousness eventually becomes matter. And at that place where spiritual consciousness and matter meet or merge or integrate, that's my authentic higher self. That That's my authentic self that is completely um, unaffected, unmolested, and undisturbed by my instinctual um, response to life. So I have an instinct drive. I have an instinct layer of the mind that's really connected to my five senses. And so this my five senses of touch and hearing and smell and whatnot, that, that helps me to protect this vehicle, this meat car, this body that I have as I drive around earth, co-creating with spiritual consciousness. And so in order for me to be an adequate instrument through which spiritual consciousness can do its work. And by doing its work, I mean, right now we're on the clock. Uh, the collective human organism, if you wanted to look at all 7 billion humans on the planet right now as cells that comprise its own body, and that body is its collect the collective human organism. If that collective human organism that's on the planet right now is vibrating and when i say vibe okay i don't want to get too ahead of myself if it's healthy and it's spiritually attuned and it's living in alignment and harmonious alignment with 
its own spiritual nature, well, those 8 billion cells are going to be vibrating at a different frequency than, say, for example, if those 8 billion cells were unaligned spiritually and they were fearful and reactive and they were unable to um, access spiritual energy. And if those cells were not able to access their own spiritual nature, because they're living in fear, because they're programmed and they're living, they're, they're just hyper-focused on their environment. They're hyper-focused. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't have adequate shelter. They perceive that other people are persecuting them. They perceive that other people are going to attack them. You have to understand that humans are the only species on earth that prey upon each other as a means of distraction from self. Other animals, they'll prey on each other, but they need to eat each other. It's it's killer. It's just, I'm going to kill you because I need, it's your turn to die today and I need to eat. So, you know, the lion will attack the, the, the deer and take the deer's life, but the lion's not going to stockpile 20 deers today and fill up a freezer full of deers and just, you know, hoard all these deers or create weapons of mass destructions to take out any other animals like the coyotes or the hyenas that might take away deers from them in the future because gazelles from them in the future. That's not the way the animal kingdom works. But us, when we get really, really, really enmeshed and rooted in our instinct drive and that five sensory experience, it can become a five sensory prison. And so if those cells, those 8, million, 8 billion cells that comprise the human organism are, you know, vibrating in the fear frequency, they're vibrating in the perceived threat frequency, they're vibrating in the, um, they're, they're vibrating in a frequency that is, at, there is no spiritual love or truth inherent within that vibrational frequency. That's a very different collective human organism than the one that's spiritually aligned. And if that collective organism that's that does not possess any spiritual love or truth and cannot support spiritual love and truth transmitting through their words and actions and their shared interactions, if all of their shared interactions become fearful and reactive and do not support love's expansion, and love's expression, spiritual love's expansion and expression, well, then it's going to create a contraction. It's sending out a specific um, vibration into the universal atom, and the universal atom will respond accordingly. And so I just went macro with you just to, to show you how important it is that we're doing this work, um, how important it is that a person get back into alignment with their spiritual nature and how important it is for me as someone who is striving to be a spiritual teacher and be a community leader of helping other people liberate their authentic self from what we call the trauma avatar, from what we call the unconscious personal identity, what, from liberate themselves from the self-defeating beliefs that they have accepted as truth. And so we have right now, our number one enemy is the enemy within. The killer is inside. The killer is inside of our own mind. And it is our 
absolute allegiance and loyalty to beliefs of a self-defeating nature, to beliefs that were formed within our mind from decisions that we made in response to trauma and neglect. Now that trauma and neglect could have happened last year, coming out of an abusive relationship. It could have happened six months ago when our business partner took all of our funds and left us for broke to figure out how to feed our family. It could have happened when we were five, when a family member dominated us and took, took our innocence, either sexually or through physical violence or emotional violence. There's many, many different ways that this occurs. But the bottom line is, is that as those kind of events happen, our response to those events shape our identity. And without what we call spiritual insight, without what we call conscious awareness, we cannot see those events um, objectively. We lack the spiritual insight to recognize our worth, our spiritual wholeness, our birthright to, to be joyous and free. And we turn away from our spiritual nature in such moments, and we become more increasingly attached to our unconscious identity, and we start to live life more and more from a fearful, reactive place of our trauma avatar. And we lose our innocence. We lose our connection to our authentic higher self. We start to live in instinct mode. We start to live in animal mode. And so these mantras are something that were prescribed to me to help me help others liberate their authentic higher self from instinct mode, to liberate their authentic self from their trauma avatar, to liberate their authentic self from this unconscious identity that's built upon self-defeating beliefs. And so far, the results of these, these mantras have been absolutely profound. And they've been something that's been probably the biggest blessing that's ever come into my life. Because what this blessing's done is it has enabled me to consistently show up and love my moments. Now, if those moments contain other people, or if those moments can contain me working or my children, whatever's in my moment with me as I am living in spiritual alignment and practicing these mantras on a daily basis, those moments, I become an adequate instrument through which spiritual love and truth and spiritual consciousness can co-create. Love, spiritual love and truth can be transmitted through me in those moments. I'm going to take a little sip of tea. And what's been going on lately is, because um, I've been doing the, uh, I did the possibility mantras. And for those of you that are just tuning in for the first time today, the possibility mantras are the very first set of mantras in the way of the conscious creator process. The possibility mantras are written in a way that circumvents what we call the trauma avatar's need to protect us. So our trauma avatar, our unconscious identity, our unconscious persona or character that we get triggered into and we become fearful, that avatar 
insanely protects us from threatening, uh, from threats, external threats. And if our unconscious identity, if we have accepted as our unconscious identity, for example, a belief that we are ugly, let's just use that one. So I have accepted a belief that I am ugly. I know that I am ugly. And if someone were to come along with a mantra and say, just go into the mirror and look in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. Well, we have found that that doesn't work because what happens is, is that trauma avatar triggers, it becomes active and it protects us from that possibility of being beautiful because we already have accepted as our truth that we are ugly. So whatever we accept as our truth as human beings, that avatar is going to protect us from whatever is, you know, protect us from any threat. So it's going to protect us from anything that might give us the idea that we're beautiful because we know we're ugly. So the possibility mantras are written in a way that says, I accept the possibility of being beautiful. I accept that being beautiful is now possible for me. I accept that I can now be beautiful. So I just love being beautiful rather than believing I'm ugly. I just love to, to see myself as, I'm just giving you an example. I just love seeing myself as beautiful rather than believing I'm ugly. I just love to see myself as beautiful rather than believing that I'm ugly. And so those possibility mantras kind of, they keep that insecurity guard, that trauma avatar in a relatively unreactive dormant state. And that allows those suggestions to move past the trauma avatar and make their way into what we call the receptive mind. So a lot of you out there probably call it the unconscious or subconscious mind. We just call it the receptive mind. We have an expressive and a receptive mind. The expressive mind is more the conscious, uh, the conscious mind. Um, the receptive mind is more the unconscious or subconscious mind. So and we, we need those thought impressions to make their way down into the receptive mind because that we, that's what changes our uh, energetic vibration. It starts to loosen up our attachment we have to these beliefs that are self-defeating in nature. And so then we move on. I did a couple of 40-day um, cycles of those mantras, of the possibility mantras, and then I moved into what we call the alignment mantras. And the alignment mantras are just building upon what the possibility mantras have stated already. But they're saying it more from an affirmative thing. It's saying, I just love being beautiful. I just love accepting the fact that uh, the possibility that I'm beautiful. I choose to continue accepting the possibility that I'm beautiful. I am continuing to accept the possibility of being beautiful. And then it says, yes, this is where we start to bring in whatever the practitioner's idea of a higher power is into the process. So for me, I would say spiritual consciousness of love and truth. I pray to you today. I pray to God consciousness. I pray to the consciousness of being within. Some people would say, I pray to the Christ consciousness within. I pray to my authentic higher self because I'm praying to that part of me that is that where I begin and my spirit ends because I need to enlist that part of my, my, my nature. I need to activate that and I need to start living from that because that part of me has direct access to my spiritual nature. So I'm praying to my authentic higher self 
And then I'm also going to be praying to, and this is just my prayer. You're going to have your own. But I pray to angels and gurus and saints, past, present, and future. I pray that you help me to continue accepting the possibility that I am beautiful. And then the next line is very important. And the next line actually sums up everything that we're doing here in the process. The next line would say spiritual consciousness of love and truth. Please help me maintain the conscious awareness and the frequency of vibration that's necessary for me to continue to be beautiful or for me to continue to accept the possibility of being beautiful. I'm just giving you an example there. But that conscious awareness and frequency of vibration, those are the two things that we are primarily working on here. We're always increasing our conscious awareness. And conscious awareness is different than self-awareness. Conscious awareness is something that gives us access to spiritual insight. Spiritual insight comes from the consciousness of being within. Spiritual insight comes from our spiritual nature. It's our spiritual soulmate within giving us insights into our daily experience. Now, these spiritual insights, they must be sought after. They don't just offer their opinions unsolicited. That's the beautiful thing about spiritual insight. A lot of people think that if they start living these spiritual lives, that once they tune in and they become aligned with their spiritual nature, their spiritual nature is just going to be like micromanaging them. Everything they do, everything they like, every decision they make, there's going to be this kind of nitpicky micromanaging voice that's going to kind of ruin the fun, you know, because ignorance is bliss and people don't want to become aware of everything all at once. And luckily, that's not how it works. Spiritual insight is something that must be sought after. It does not seek to be known. It doesn't seek to let us know what it thinks. We must seek and we must ask. Ask and it is received. So if I ask for insight, we will receive insight and clarification from that part of ourselves. But that conscious awareness is very, very important. And as we start to live and live in alignment with our spiritual nature, our conscious awareness turns on and it starts to grow. And as it grows, we can increasingly interact with our environment in a way that is not so self-centered. And by self-centered, I don't have a negative connotation on that. I mean, it's not so centered in the self. Not We're not like the self and this world's just revolving around us and everything that happens. You know, the traffic's bad. That means something about myself. If the traffic's good, well, then there I go. I can be happy. Um, the line at the grocery store is long. Well, that's affecting me because it's all about me. Or, you know, we don't have this react reaction with our external environment like that anymore. We're more above that plane of self-centeredness. And we're on that plane of conscious awareness and on the plane of conscious awareness, that's a joy of, you know, it's a level plane. It's a joyous plane that exists beyond the pendulum and the swing of polarity and duality that we are often um, subject to here in this earthly realm. So, and then the conscious awareness is great because in a moment we need to be able to tap into and gain insight in order to see when we are acting upon a pattern, because these habit patterns that are ingrained, these, these habit patterns of thought and action within our minds, 
they're so ingrained and so unconscious that we seldom even have any idea that we're indulging on them. We'll just indulge in them. Uh, we believe they're who we are. They very much become us. And so with conscious awareness, we're able to see them not as parts of us, but more as parts of our their patterns of, of, of behavior that we have created. They're no more who we are than our dog is the tricks that we've taught it. So these are much like tricks that we've taught ourselves, tricks in order to survive our childhood, tricks in order to navigate an abusive relationship, tricks in order to live with a, a narcissist or someone who's completely uh, a victim martyr, for example. So we just start to create these patterns of adapt adaptation to adapt to whatever experience we're willing to endure. And so these habit patterns become very automatic and they become second nature and they become who we are. With conscious awareness, we are able to see those as created patterns and begin to intervene upon them. And we intervene upon these patterns through the practice of our mantras. Because each word within each one of our mantras has its own specific, unique vibrational frequency. And as that vibrational frequency is introduced to our mind, and as that thought impression makes its way into our receptive mind, that vibrational frequency from each letter of each word starts to increase our overall vibrational frequency. And as our overall vibrational frequency changes and increases, well, we start to, it starts to match us up. It starts to be able to, it, start, it enables us to align with things that we desire. And so a big example of that would be, you know, for a long time in my life prior to this practice, I patterned my life around situations and circumstances that I did not want to experience. So I got to the point where I could avoid things I didn't want, but I hadn't yet been vibrating at a frequency where I could allow things that I desired into my, into my existence. I could avoid things I didn't want. And then there'd be moments of surrender along the way coming out of like a, a long relapse into active addiction where I would be completely surrendered and I would allow something to come in and I would have the, the you know, a short period of uh, creative fruitfulness um, where my creations would bear fruit and I would be um, utilized for my intended purpose of being an instrument through which spiritual wisdom and consciousness can co-create but they were short-lived and i would get triggered back into my avatar and my avatar would diminish my vibrational frequency and i would fall out of alignment with those things that i'd manifested to the extent that it was like i didn't even know how i manifested them at all it was like i just forgot so when i was in that state of grace and i was in that state of spiritual alignment Literal miracles would occur through me and through my actions because I was a willing and able instrument through which those miracles could be um, consummated. But as soon as my vibrational frequency broke, as soon as I became fearful and reactive, as soon as I became reattached and re-enmeshed with those self-defeating beliefs in my, in my mind, my vibrational frequency altered. And all those things that I was aligned with, all those possibilities that I was aligned with, they just disappeared. It was like they never existed. Very confusing. So conscious awareness helps us to continuously see 
our patterns of behavior that we have created objectively so that we can intervene upon them and create new patterns. And the vibrational frequency that we maintain helps us to align with and to be able to receive possibilities and blessings from the universe and from the universe gives us blessings through people. So lately what's been going on with me, I'm going to switch out the tapes. Give me a sec. Lately, what's been going on with me is I've moved forward into the fulfillment mantras. So the fulfillment mantras are the third set and they deal with, you know, this process introduces us to fundamental needs that we have that are fundamental needs beyond survival and fundamental needs beyond survival look like connection and intimacy and community and creative expression and security, which is the absence of the fear of uh, imagined threat. So we're no longer afraid. We don't no longer imagine threats and danger and then create fear around them. So there's a set of fundamental needs. There's nine of them. And there's 18 fulfillment mantras. And as we go through these fulfillment mantras, we get uh we create the necessary neural pathways and create the necessary vibrational frequency to start to fulfill these fundamental needs not just our own but those needs within others and that becomes our life because it says here right in the beginning it says a conscious creator's purpose is to live in alignment with our spiritual nature and help others to do the same so when we're living in alignment with our spiritual nature when we are living in alignment with the fact that we are and we are indeed spiritual beings having human experiences, we're acknowledging that as spiritual beings, we have fundamental needs. And those fundamental spiritual needs are what are addressed in the ninth measure. Because a lot of people, as they're born and they come into the world and then, you know, they turn away from their spiritual nature they almost fall asleep and they start chasing after these more superficial needs. And they, th there's this emptiness and this lack of joy and wholeness that starts to open up this void of incompletion that starts to open up within us because we have turned away from our spiritual nature and are no longer communing with that spiritual nature. We've become fragmented human beings rather than spiritual beings actively participating in a, uh, a spiritual, a human experience. And the other unfortunate thing that occurs as this process of separation uh, ensues is that a lot of people come here with a very specific mission or a task, something that they're supposed to do, that they're very eager to do, that they can't wait to get into the world and do. Like there's a job for them to do. Like we're spiritual beings here on earth being of service to our collective's, uh, uh, you know, infinite evolution. And so people come in, they get these bodies, they're born, and then boom, they forget, they fall asleep, they forget what their purpose was, they experience trauma and neglect and all these things, they create their trauma avatars, they create their unconscious identities, and they become enslaved to these unconscious identities, and then they spend the rest of their life wrestling with various addictions internally and externally. They wrestle with addictions to external mechanisms such as alcohol, drugs, and codependence, or you know, perfectionism and, and you know, um, greed, wealth, money, whatever the thing is. 
Or, and then they also struggle with these internal addictions of compensation when they believe that they're inadequate. So they have to go out and prove to the world that they are adequate or they believe that they're inadequate and they go out and they model that and they act like a victim. And so they play these games and they totally forget what they came here to accomplish. And so that's another gift of this is that it enables the practitioner to put out all the obvious fires and then start to really get quiet and commune with their spiritual nature. Almost like, it, you know, you come in and you're a caterpillar for a while and then you go in the chrysalis. And this process is like the chrysalis. It's like, you know, you get quiet, you do your mantras, and then you start to cultivate these neural pathways. And these neural pathways gradually and gently change our vibrational frequency. And as our frequent frequency elevates and evolves past instinctual fear and reactivity and starts to evolve into like openness and receptivity and love and um, growth and expansion, creative expression and intimacy, community and connection. As we start to vibrate in those frequencies and start to attract opportunities and circumstances that fulfill those those needs, those desires, well, I mean, at that point, we're dealing, we're completely different human beings than we were years prior when we first engaged the process. And that's been my experience. But now we're moving into the, the final part of the alignment mantras is, um, I'm sorry, the final part of the fulfillment mantras is at some point when you're going through the fulfillment mantras, and I think I was going through the fulfillment mantras for... About two months, I had done about 60 days. And um, at some point in there, you're called upon to not just do it for yourself, but start to ask that you can help others to do this. So an example would be, um, well, what's the first one? So I just love to, I just love to share a, a, I just love to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others. And then the next line would be, I choose to continue to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others. And then the last line would be, I am continuing to share a sustained feeling of affinity with others. And then the, the other side of that would be, you know, I love to help others share a sustained feeling of affinity. I love to help others share a sustained feeling of affinity. And then the next one would be, I choose to help others share a sustained feeling of affinity. And then the last line would be, I am continuing to help others share a sustained feeling of affinity. So. And then the prayer would be basically like praying for everyone, praying for us. And when I say us, it's myself and anyone else on the planet who has a desire to start living in this vibration, this vibration of sharing a sustained feeling of affinity with others. And so I'm praying for other people and I'm praying to help people. And I was doing that for about 20 days. And I just started getting so exhausted. And so my thoughts were starting to get crazy on me. And I was like thinking about relapsing and thinking about doing drugs. And I really had to check in and 
I was able to receive insight about what was going on. And it was interesting because what I, what I received, it's all going in the book, is that one of my main trigger things my whole life has been allowing or receiving. And for anyone who is in the recovery or in the world in general, anyone who knows, like I've always been someone who could give as a distraction of self. Like I would be of service to others or pay attention to others just so people wouldn't pay attention to me. So, but the true act of giving requires one to receive. So if I'm honestly and authentically going to give and be of service to people within the context of the spiritual practice, I'm going to be giving love to these people. And whether those individuals give love back or the universal atom within which I am, a, a you know, a cell, what that universal atom is going to receive that love and it's going to respond accordingly and it's going to give me love. And at that point, I'm going to need to receive that love. And so for me, that's always been something that's been quite triggering for me. And so as I was going through these mantras, I started getting really wonky and stuff. And I had to stop for a second and ask what was going on and ask specifically for insight. And the insight that I received was that, look, you've gone as far as you can with this, this need of praying for other people and praying to serve other people. And, you know, good job great job great job but you know just stop right there go ahead and take a five-day break which is interesting so i'm taking a five-day break i'm on day three right now no mantras at all and what that does is it's allowing the neuro network that i was installing through the fulfillment mantras to become dormant to become inactive it doesn't mean that they disappear they're still just these baby neural pathways that i've been developing but they are inactive and they're no longer the ones that I am consciously and intentionally working on and paying attention to and giving my mental energy and focus to. And so that allows them to kind of subside very much like when I went up to Vipassana meditation and I did their 10 day silent meditation, but I went up there on methamphetamines and I wouldn't know about this neuropathway thing if it wasn't for that experience. When I, I actually went to Vipassana meditation and I detoxed off of methamphetamines in complete silence doing that meditation practice. And it wasn't until about day six that the neural pathways of active addiction had gone into a dormant state and I was able to reacquaint myself and realign myself spiritually. So, you know, even though the physical withdrawal was about three days, it was about five days for those neural pathways to subside and for me to no longer be thinking the thoughts I was thinking, for me to no longer, for example, have a specific attitude about my mom and my sister. You know, when I get high and I activate those patterns of active addiction, all of a sudden I start to look at my mom through the lens of past traumas start to look at my sister at the, uh, at, through the lens of past traumas. I start to view women as objects and things. It, 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 everything shifts because I'm turning on that neural network. And so right now, I did a very similar thing. I consciously just, just said, okay, cool, we're good for now. Because what spiritual consciousness and spiritual insight availed to me was that if you didn't do that, if you just – we're not at the point where you are sensitive enough to just kind of stop right there and just let that be enough for now. If I would have continued to just willfully move ahead without paying attention to how I was feeling and what was going on with my mind, 
that insecurity guard within that trauma avatar, it would have pushed, put its foot down and it would have done, it would have compelled me. It could have compelled me to do things that, uh, resulted in, for example, me losing my sobriety, me screaming at my kids, me doing something in order to create the space because things were getting too real and too intense for that part of me that's been struggling with receiving love from the universe and from others its whole life. So we did as much work as we could. We pulled off of that. We're letting all those neural pathways subside. And then we're going to move back over and start a set of alignment mantras again. And we're just going to give that space and we're just going to let that kind of do its thing. And we're going to reinforce those patterns that kind of support the fulfillment mantras. And, um, and then spiritual insight went on to let me know that, you know, during the pandemic, when I got out of rehab and I was doing the fulfillment and the alignment mantras, I'm sorry, when I was doing the possibility and alignment mantras, I had begun, I had, I was doing them so much. I would. I, I didn't yet have the sensitivity to understand what was going on. I, my a conscious awareness was not enhanced enough for me to recognize all these subtle things that were happening within me. And so I just doubled down, and I figured if you know one half hour sitting of mantras was good a day, well then two is even better, and four is even better than that. And I compulsively started to engage these mantras like in an addictive in an in an addictive way and that had catastrophic consequences that i triggered my avatar i started to move too quickly it became like a mundane ritual it became another uh, ritual of self-soothing it became something different than a spiritual practice and i suffered accordingly i had a relapse and i'm not saying that the relapse was all caused by that but those mantras are, are a part of a spiritual practice. So like, let's say if someone's in 12 step work, they're doing their 12 step work. If they're a religious person, they're doing their religious stuff. If they're in therapy, they're doing their therapy. And then they're also doing their mantra work, their mantra work. This mantra work works in conjunction with all these modalities and, 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 and programs and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't interfere with it. It just helps it. But at that point I hadn't, yet manifested the courage to the courage to step out of um i hadn't yet manifested sorry i got thinking about something else i hadn't yet manifested the courage to make the important decisions for example i was still living in the house in echo park full time with my roommate who i care about dearly but we don't do well together all the time because we start to trigger each other into a dynamic that doesn't serve either of us and during the pandemic we very much were both triggered into that and so it was very hard to maintain spiritual alignment um and actively be participating in that self-defeating dynamic with her um and so you know me treating that me escaping from that with the mantras is very different than me recognizing, okay, I, I need to move out of this situation. I need to break, I need to break this dynamic because it has me under a specific spell. I have myself under a specific spell and I keep participating it in it with this person. And it's keeping me in a place of diminished spiritual abundance. It's keeping me in spiritual scarcity. It's keeping me out of spiritual alignment. It's keeping me reactive and fearful and incomplete internally. And there's only a matter of time before 
you know, fearfulness and anxiety and reactivity and all those kind of things cause me, a person like me, to go and become an uh, go go into active addiction again, just to escape and gain some relief. I must live in spiritual abundance. I must be vibrating in, a, in an inner wholeness and joy. If I'm not sustaining a mindset and attitude and outlook that can support inner wholeness and joy, it's just a matter of time before I pick up active attachment addiction again. And so that's what had happened at that point. And so I, you know, I was using these mantras addictively and that's not how you're supposed to do it. They're prescribed a specific way and they're supposed to be done a specific way. And uh, that's why I'm the guinea pig for them. I would hate to, to be a guide, a spiritual guide for someone and not have all these kinks worked out. It's my responsibility to make sure that I am safe. And, and the, the information that I, um, I pass on to people who are engaging this practice has been vetted by me and my personal experience. Anything else is just not responsible. So, anywho, that was a pretty darn good podcast for anyone who's just like, you know, what's the way the conscious creator all about? What are these mantras about? How do they help? What's the point? Um, that's the point. So... And it's a gradual thing, and, and, and I'll finish with this, because as, as many of you know, my, I, I introduce myself as Asher Gray um, when I'm doing these podcasts. And I've been Asher Gray since that sixth day at the Vipassana meditation. And on that sixth day of the Vipassana, med Vipassana meditation, after the methamphetamines had worn off and I was no longer uh, detoxing and I was back in spiritual alignment and I could sense it, I asked my higher power, I said, what is the middle ground between agony and ecstasy? What's something I can sustain? What's the feeling that's in the middle that I can sustain and that I need to sustain in order to avoid the pendulum and the ups and downs of all this crazy shit? And God said, you know, I walked into that meditation and it said, you know, that is inner, it's joy. Then the, the, the condition that you're seeking is joy. And then my name came right after that and it said Asher. And I didn't know what all that meant until I got back home. And I looked up the name Asher and lo and behold, one of the original 12 tribes of Israel, their, his name was Asher. And that was the most joyous of the 12 tribes. And so I've been going through these mantras ever since then as Asher. But I'm told and I've received insight that at the end of my seven-year commitment, because every cell in my body has to vibrate as Asher before this process is complete. So I still have about three more years. I believe uh, three more years and some change will be seven years total that I've been engaging this practice. And at that point, I can either keep Asher or I can go back to Robert. But at that point, Robert would have been spiritually cleansed and there wouldn't have been anything attached to his name. I wouldn't have that same unconscious identity driving Robert and his behaviors. So, um, and that's all part of this practice. So it's very important to understand that. And um, anyway, so thank you so much for tuning in. I hear people knocking at the door. I have to go now, but uh, have, a, have a blessed weekend. And thank you for taking the time to learn more about our beautiful practice.